Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and joining us all the way from the land down under is the darkest of horses, Mitch Byrne, to talk about some chaos, which is actually a very interesting list. Uh, Joining us as always on the podcast is the one and only Nick Nanavati, the proverbial Tom Brady of Warhammer 40k. Uh, Again, make sure you ask him about that story. I'm trying to get him to have to tell it because it's... You know, I've had to tell it, John. Mission accomplished. But keep on <laughs> saying it. Yeah. So it's super fun. All right. Uh, so anyway, um, for those of you who are maybe new to the podcast, this is episode one where we talk about the strategy of a list, which is basically we talk about what's in a list, why is it in the list, what other things you consider putting in the list, what secondaries you take, sort of the overall strategy. Think about it as a macro discussion. In episode two, which is only available to patrons, we get into the nitty-gritty, dirty details of optimal play with Mitch's list, which we'll talk about individual matchups and and how you go about playing the list optimally. All right, Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce our guest, and let's get started. Sure. So Mitch was actually sponsored. He's on a Western Australia, Australian ATC team that was sponsored by Asset Art of War, and they brought home the glory. So we got Mitch on because he's a really cool chaos list we want to show off here. Mitch is the captain of their uh, state team. He's been a competitive 40K player for years and one of the top players in the state of Western Australia and just generally good dude. So I'm really shocked because I just genuinely don't understand what this chaos list does. So I am here to learn just as much as you guys, and I think it's going to be awesome. So Mitch, how are you doing? Very good. Uh, how are you guys? We are great. Thanks Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Why don't we start from the top, read us the list as if you were reading it off of uh, Battlescribe or whatever, and uh, we'll go from there. Easy. So it's a Black Legion Battalion with Abaddon as my Warlord. Uh, I then have a Terminator Chaos Sorcerer with Mark of Sunesh, the Angel's Bane Relic Bolt Gun, um, a Dark Apostle um, with the Dark Disciples, obviously, and the Aura of Five Up Invulnerable Save, uh, a Prayer to the Dark Gods. Uh, both of them then have an additional Warlord trait because Black Legion can do that um, for one CP, which is a Five Up Command Point refund and a reroll ones to wound like permanently on the Sorcerer. Uh, I then have 30 Slanesh Chaos Cultists with Auto Guns and Three Flamers. Uh, 18 Chaos Cultists with Autoguns, 18 Chaos Cultists with Autoguns, 10 Chaos Cultists with Autoguns, 10 more Chaos Cultists with Autoguns, uh, three units of five Corn Berserkers, each with a paired Lightning Claw Berserker Champion, three units of Slanesh Chaos Bikes, just three-man uh, chainswords, nothing special, two Chaos Rhinos, um, I think I gave them Mark of Nurgle, funny enough, uh, and a Thousand Suns Cult of Magic Patrol with Araman on disc, with Doombolt Prescience and Warp Time, and a Terminator Sorcerer uh, with a Familiar, um, the uh, Cult Warlord trait for an additional mortal wound when he deals mortal wounds, uh, Zinch's Firestorm and Infernal Gaze, and to round all that off to make it legal, 10 more Chaos Cultists with Autoguns. Yeah, and that's everything. All right, so those of you listening hopefully you know what this does because i don't um 
This is just, to me, it looks like a pile of cultists uh, in very strange numbers, lots of 10 mams and a weird 18, not in bikes, and some characters, and some corn berserkers, of course. So walk me through what this list strategy is. Like, what is its idea? What is the foundation upon which this list is built? So the foundation is pretty similar in a lot of ways to some of the like Tyranid hordes uh, and other similar concepts that we've been seeing for the last couple months, uh, for the most part worldwide slash in the state a little bit in Australia and yeah like it, it's not an uncommon thing at the moment the like uh, Eric Lathuris style um, lots of gaunts um, obviously it's nowhere near as many cultists as there are gaunts um, but uh, the the very very raw concept is not necessarily an army that is just going to wipe out my opponent and do horrendous amounts of damage and and oh my god they they it can just perform an incredibly good alpha strike or or um uh anything like that the the main goal when i was building the list and playing games that was always trying to refine something that could try and win in the movement phase as efficiently as possible um literally by traditionally denying the primary um now for for those that aren't aware, Black Legion, despite not having much great uh, content in their, in their supplements rules, um, have a three command point stratagem, world ki- which is called World Killers, which essentially turns objective secured off for, for a whole battle round. Um, and then when things like cultists, like a single cultist is outscoring essentially anything um, on an objective is always really handy. Um, there's a couple other little contentious parts of that as well, but we'll, I can come back to that because, uh, it doesn't necessarily build into how the, the core of the list functions. Gotcha. So, so my understanding is basically you've taken an army that plays the mission very well through basically putting objective secured cultists onto objectives and then taking away your opponent's obsec at opportune times. And then you can just use that to score a lot of points. And I'm imagining you have things like the bikers in there to help you with like engaging all fronts or things like that, or is that not correct? So there, you you are correct in in that regard. Like they are they are just a really handy unit for 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 the most part, just other secondaries, um, and even even helping out with the primary. Um, they're surprisingly decent in terms of being, and this is a bit more uh, of a psychological thing and not everyone inherently falls for it, but the army's got a lot of just, even though when you look at it on paper, it just looks like a big pile of cultists. When you put it on the table there, there's all these different unit sizes and all these other different units that if someone's not actually really good with their target priority, I've had a couple like opponents kind of mess that up, um, for the most part, um, where you haven't actually efficiently removed things like, the bikes and the rhinos and the berserkers and then the smaller units of cultists. And then there just happens to be, say, a single biker left on an objective or even all three left on an objective. Um, the I'll get into well, the Yeah, you have so many of, small squads all over the table. It's hard to bring your opponent to bring its firepower to bear against you in an effective way. Is that kind of the idea you're kind of going for? Yeah, for the most part. Um, the other one is just how... I think a lot of people underrate just how much work cultists can actually do. Um, like I'm not not saying that they're the be all and end all. Oh my god, like fear the the humble cultist. But um, chatting to a lot of opponents as well, people assume that they can't veterans of the long war. 
people assume that like tide of traders like either just doesn't exist anymore they've they heard the tales of this early eighth edition style cultist horde army and that they don't see it anymore so they just assume that every aspect of it must be bad now um but uh 30 cultists with plus one to wound shooting twice with plus one potentially plus one to hit with flat rerolls to hit uh like uh, it, it, depending on the target, that if the target say like something from Chaos Demons, Death Hexed as well, like that, that actually does work to a degree. Um, like I've been killing five man beasts of Nurgle unit with curb units with cultists in certain games, um, which is just hilarious because <laughs> yeah, you don't expect it. Um, no, but it makes sense. Like people, like 200 cultists spammed out used to be a very, very competitive army. And mm. you're just like kind of taking whatever concept still exists from that and just meshing that with a more ninth edition style mm. um so, it, the, the army doesn't necessarily care about mm, essentially being tabled or not existing the whole point is getting that that early lead ideally trying to take secondaries that um that aren't uh essential to inherently surviving so sometimes i'll take while we stand the fight but um i'll go back in more into secondaries later but um the uh the goal is really just try and get that primary differential and try and put like stay tired with secondaries um early yeah. on um the yeah. army on paper doesn't look like it does much damage and as i said before it doesn't inherently do a lot of damage um but it's so things like the angel's bane relic bolter in the environment that is wa and you could probably argue this for the world at the moment um i think are actually really useful um because that is a, for those that don't know, it's a strength five AP negative two bolter that is damage or combi bolter. So four, four shots on a Terminator character that is uh, eight damage two and goes to damage three against Imperium. Um, and then when that one Terminator... That's a really good there, relic these days. Everything is Imperial. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's and everything Imperium has, not everything, but a lot has three wounds. So when he's cleaning up five-man Gravis squads, um, give or take, um, by himself and then not being you can't really retaliate against him because i'm i'm finding at least not many people are, are bothering taking anything that's actually um like you, I, I haven't seen an eliminator squad on the board for for a while like no one's really taking anything that can actually retaliate against him um it just means all oh, your plasma receptors rocked up or your eradicators rocked up or um, most importantly honestly cerberus raiders was a reason why i included him in the list originally because i have a friend of mine that plays um admec quite regularly that we we play basically every week and cleaning up cerberus raiders like something that can efficiently do it um i think is actually really important at the moment because if you can't they're just one of the most obnoxious units in the game to try and actually get through um and this guy with essentially three stick with rerolls because he's babysat by a baton uh if you veterans him which yeah you're putting a cp into it but if it's to do the job it's to do the job um two's to wound with rerolls because of his extra warlord trait um every failed save is just a dead cerberus raider he can kill like six or even seven if you're, you're pushing it a little bit in a in a turn um and that it just sounds like a really weird like why are you investing this cp and these points on this character um no i mean i think that's part of the like you said it's very eric letter style we've had eric on our podcast two or three times now to talk about his janky nonsense and it's mm -hmm. a lot of that little subtle stuff like this forgotten relic from a character you don't even think about that does like way too much damage for what it is. That's like right up the alley, but going for it. 
but for like but subtle this damage. Was in a, this was in a team format, so when people people have a habit of not necessarily combing through a list fully, um, and whilst to be fair, it didn't happen on the day. I know of people talking in the room with like very gravis heavy armies, or like even um, well, actually, I did play breach spam, but uh, like uh, Catafron breacher style armies, and they're like, yeah, there's nothing in here that can do damage three to my like my important units. I'm like, there, there is. It's just very well hidden. Um, but um, the things, even things like the the corn berserkers, don't inherently do a lot of damage. But go, actually, going back a step um, to actually make the berserkers make a little bit more sense. The other thing that the I try to do with the army is, um, I, I think it plays very, very well on missions that have more centralized objectives, um, which we knew that for this team event, at least, at least three of the missions were going to be um because obviously they were all published beforehand um and with that i think it just it it i try to to trade very very efficiently so it'll be a case of i was in in some games i was using the rhinos to transport cultists like the two ten man units and deploying the berserkers outside of them and people are why are you putting cultists inside your rhinos that just seems really counterintuitive and really weird um, only for that extra three inches for them to be enough to to get onto those central objectives guaranteed. Well, no also, it helps well. you get the cultists a little bit further up the table, not just in the yeah. three-inch distant bark, but like 10 cultists walking up the side of the table, that's just dead. A yeah. rhino with 10 cultists, like, why do I even bother shooting that? And then all of a sudden, mm. 10 cultists get to get out in the midfield and start doing stuff. Um, or you park the, the rhino edge, he's in a threat at all then, and then they they... They are they are inside him when it all of a sudden is a threat and they're like I need to kill this thing you can't really kill it because ten obsec models are going to fall out of it um, right and you can't very really very similar to like uh, how I, I used to be a big fan of land speeder storms with scouts inside it's very mm-hmm. similar to that just like a little bit different price point kind of different durability yeah. like the cultists are easier to kill than the scouts but a rhino is hard to kill in the storm you know. And it would be the kind um, of thing where where people were coming out to kill. Obviously, you 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 have to come out to kill these cultists on these central objectives. Um, you uh, that that that's not difficult. People can do that. Um, but when they then do that, cool. Yeah, they've started to already engage with the game, and then even warp timing units of berserkers getting out of rhinos. Um, or yeah, it sets you up the on, trade war very well. Mm, um, which is that's and that's that's how it's functioned. It, it's called step out. Um, there were games where people were charging ten man units of electro priests into or uh, full grad electro priests into cultists, wiping them out, getting their bonus, and then you just go death hex. Here's five berserkers. Oh, you're all dead. Um, and then that, like all of a sudden, that neat that niche clutch unit that they actually have in their army and need is removed and i've lost 10 cultists for it and yeah i might lose the berserkers afterwards but that's not how the, the no, that's, that's the perfectly good like it's interesting because i think a lot of armies in just 40k in general are predicated on taking like a couple power units that you sent and buffs on and just kind of get the work use your strats on them like blade guard um mm. alerts terminators electro priests etc just like good powerful units plasma inceptors whatever and your army doesn't have any of that it's just like here's trash everywhere that all does kind of too much trash yeah okay mitch that actually leads me to a question really quick if i can ask did you find that people really struggled with uh target priority or how to engage with the army because they didn't understand what it was doing like did you did that dark horse factor play a key role in a lot of your victories Uh, it's at the event to for the most part yeah like they um, almost 
almost every opponent either said, I think I know what your army does, but I'm not 100% sure, which is usually, uh, could be, could be exactly, exactly correct. To be fair, that might be exactly how they're thinking. Sometimes it's also just like, uh, I don't want to say that I don't, I don't know it at all, or they, or they might have half, they might legitimately have like half of the picture. Um, uh, I, I was actually saying before, I really, I, I am a big fan of something that's uh, a little bit unconventional for a team event um, in particular um, because it gives you that slight factor from a matchup standpoint of when people are looking at at my team six lists just completely writing off, uh, oh, this guy's an idiot, he's just taking a bunch of cold. This must but must just be the arm models that he owns or or he has no idea. How, like like e- even if they see the name sometimes and like I've been around the block in the state, they just – they, they, there are still people that don't know me and then just go, yeah, this, this isn't a list that I've ever seen before. It must not be good. Um, or there are some people in the state that are aware of how I function in that regard. So they go, okay, cool. There's something hidden here. I have absolutely no idea what it is. And I have no idea how much is actually going to play this. Um, and you either create this aspect where people are jumping at shadows that aren't actually there or, or totally underestimate how the army functions. And not to be fair, as I'm saying this, not everyone is actually like that. There are people that can, can actually roughly even piece together enough of it to have a, to have a rough idea. But I was going to so ask many- about that too. Like if you play someone who's a bit more experienced and can not see through your kind of your trickery and nonsense, and they just kind of boil it down. This is just an army of air and illusion cultists and nonsense. That's got little subtle things like your sorcerer or like your obsec trickery. Abaddon can beast mode through an entire Peril army if you let him. Like, do you find that you just don't have like like your army is based on tricks, right? And just playing yeah. well and and outsmarting people and stuff like that. If someone just doesn't fall for your nonsense, is that just like your army's better it, than mine now? It, it's def- it's definitely a bit of a risk. Um, I think I think that also comes down to the matchup as well. Hence hence it being I think a uh, a good team concept. Um, I'm not even going to say that the list is actually even the best version of what it could be because I've already, as usual, after an event, you immediately go back to the drawing board and you're like, how do I make this better? But um, I won't go into that uh, for, for the most part yet because it's like it's it's not, not to do with it. Um, in terms of... Uh, so, like, at the end of the day, uh, I've played 41 games with it now, um, most of which were against my own team uh, which at the end of the day we won the event. Four of our players went undefeated. Where um, there are some, there there are good players in the state, um, but obviously I regard my team that we took as a bunch of those good players. Um, and then um, we played the second best team, which I regard as also of like strong players in the state. Um, the so, uh, to actually answer the question, it it yeah it it, it actually does kind of come down to the matchup though where there is some fail safes in there where even if someone doesn't necessarily fall for said tricks, I feel as though the army can do really, really well. Um, there is definitely some things though that, yeah, it doesn't want to avoid. Obviously we can get into that in episode two as well, but there's, it kind of comes down to that. Um, if I'm playing an average player or someone that's less confident with their army uh, and it's a bad matchup, I still feel confident that I can overcome that. If I'm playing something that's, that's, uh, as someone that knows what they're doing, a competent player with an army that's a bad matchup for me, then it's not going to end um, like as well. Uh, the I've won, I think, th- yeah, 38 out of those 41 games with it, 
Um, and um, there's how, what's the best way to sum it up? Um, as so far, the the it's it's hard to call them tricks because they are tricks, but it's it's also just as as I originally said, it's it's that concept of just trying to win the game in the movement phase where um it it's for the most part can be so consistent that you just um they're, they're in certain in certain scenarios no matter how well my opponent's playing there's not that much that they can do about it because uh, it's not uh my my personal target priority was wrong or their personal target priority is was potentially wrong against certain archetypes it's just holding enough of the table uh there's also um another one to actually add to that is there's also a lot of missions that it specifically is is better in than others i will 100 percent uh acknowledge that is that there's um there's some missions where there's again less central objectives it, it struggles in more than than the others um but yeah no, I mean, that does make sense. Like, ultimately, it's got a bag of things it does and tries to control the game in moon phase, which is one of my personal favorite tactics because my opponent doesn't really have a say in that matter. Mm. My moon phase is fine. They, they have minimal say um, compared, yeah, yeah. compared to every other phase. Right. So I definitely love the concept there. Any worry that this army could get move blocked by certain armies or not? A really? little bit. Um, it's... It's more common from things like individual strategy, like Tremachelle equivalent stratagems. Um, the I've played a couple games where with opponents using multiple Admech uh, flyer bombers, um, which are again really frustrating in terms of from a move blocking standpoint. But the army has enough um, going back into its damage uh, that, whilst not insane, still exists. Um, uh, I've found it's been relatively reliable at being able to at least kill two in, in an opening turn, uh, which is for the most part all you need to do. Either they they are quite passive with them and then it gives me a bit more control in terms of where I want to move or you throw one or two of them up to actually move block and then um, like Araman is the only flying model in the army, but at least he has an option to charge one if, if it's on a couple wounds. Um, the Angel's Bane character, if he's not shooting to Cerberus Raiders, throwing shots into into um a flyer uh isn't bad uh it, it's it's a little i'll be honest it's a little inconsistent but it's it, it the whole point is that the threat still exists there um i actually totally forgot to even talk about the thousand sun detachment which is another thing um uh, that's the main reason why it's actually there is um to again try and even out that consistency with the rest of the army so um the um cult of magic terminator sorcerer um it, uh didn't actually quite go to plan at the event where part of the goal was this dude can be really cool for like um uh in part msu control in part like clumped characters or like death star equivalent um uh big blocks of 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 lots of individual units where he's got the one and then the option to swap for the pair of bubble mortal wound powers um, ironically, that never actually came up. So instead, he just stayed with the targeted mortal wound powers that he had. But that's he's for the most part with those consistently pumping out about five targeted mortal wounds um, a turn. So like characters do have to stay out of twenty four of him um, unless they want to just get get psychic to death um, or risk it at least. Um, being able to dumpster extra wounds onto things like keepers of secrets or large individual like slightly tougher models uh, swings the balance a little bit. Um, and then Araman, um, 
compare again comparing this to other things that I've played with before it, um, uh, and things like obviously the Tyranid army have all these other movement stratagems to to properly move units into position. And I was like, uh, well, obviously Chaos has warp time. Um, and how efficient can this actually be in terms of things like just, just warp timing a unit of cultists? So they're, they're either mo- moving twice, advancing twice, getting onto the objective that they need, or even just moving twice. So all of a sudden their threat range with their weapons is actually a little bit better. And now the entire unit might be in rapid fire range and then makes a charge to also get where it needs to be. Um, doesn't sound like much, but even on the 30 man unit, it can actually do a fair bit of work. Um, yeah, that's that's for the most part the list. Um, there's a there's a couple other sly things as well from a defensive thing. When people look at cultists being just a six up armor save, individual guardsman equivalent, um, one of those units every turn uh, should have a, a five up feel no pain from being slanesh and the slanesh power. Usually, it's the thirty man to to just try and actually brick it up as much as possible. And then the Dark Apostles' power of the aura of five-up invulnerable save in combat and shooting um, was always uh, underestimated again a little bit. Uh, people, you tell them at the beginning of the game or they, they're aware of it beforehand, he can give these models a 5 plus invulnerable save. Um, but then when you're watching things like Repentia bounce off them just because they don't, even though they've got a lot of attacks, they don't quite have enough attacks. Or again, Fulgurites or um, uh, in, in at least one matchup, most of an admech gun line shooting into a 30-man unit of cultists without killing them all. You've then got tired of traders to to replace that yeah. unit on the, on the board. That goes again. back to using like standard horde tactics where like you string the front guys forward on an objective and the rest of the squad runs back Ooh. behind a wall or something and you killed some but not all and then I have still a unit left. Little stuff yeah, like that. bubble of auto-pass morale as well as obviously just great. Like there's no reason to not take him in the army. He gives you extra CP. He's an absolute beat stick. Like when he actually does get going, particularly into Imperial units. Um, and the, that, that allows you to do some weird stuff with, with, uh, reliability of like just cultists hanging around. Cause again, with world killers, sometimes all you need is that literally just one cultist just to, to sway a, a five to 10 point swing. Um, but yeah. So I did, I, I mean, you, what you're saying makes sense for like the larger units with the cultists and whatnot, but you have a lot of 10 mans. There's not much you can really do with that as far as stringing around and keeping them alive. You, if 10 cultists get shot, 10 cultists are going to die. So yeah, um, the, the funny thing is they usually just don't get shot. Like they, really? they, sorry, they do, they do of it like eventually. Um, not a lot of people are like targeting them early game. Um, as I was saying before, sometimes you just put the, the, the 10 man units of cultists in, in, the, rhino, uh, yeah. in the rhinos. Um, I guess it's like just, if it's not the cultists, it's the berserkers of the bikes. Like, how are you keeping your army alive? That's my ultimate question here. Um, it, again, in part, that's also matchup like pick. Um, again, hence being a being a team list. I think it does also rely on like it definitely requires a very consistent. Which again, we're seeing uh, better in WA. And in most places worldwide, has always been relatively consistent, but I, I, I'm sure it's not unanimous worldwide. Uh, it, it does actually require terrain to be, uh, again, quite quite consistent. Um, otherwise, you do risk those games of uh, I've haven't been able to hide enough of my army um, in any way or another, and it, someone has brought enough guns to just blow it off the board, and it just gets blown off the board. Um, but what's what's interesting 
I found at least is particularly at this team event and even in the build up to it and even just in some list archetypes at the moment is seeing not necessarily a rise in combat armies, but there's definitely a couple competitive list archetypes out there that don't actually have much of a shooting phase. Um, I like think things like some of the demon concepts going around at the moment um, of double or triple keeper, the unkillable Lord of Change, um, where the only uh, um, uh, or like the Beast of Nurgle, uh, Nurglings, Plague Bearers, you name it. Um, the only shooting unit that might exist in that army is maybe a unit of flame, is maybe two at, at worst, which whilst it might on paper you go, oh, that's that's going to melt a unit of cultists, that's bad. It, there's Usually it can melt one and then it gets retaliated yeah. and dies. That's not, well, there's not, the type of weapons in the game right now are very specifically guild, geared to kill vehicles, kill marines, mm. kill this infantry stuff. When you pop down like, 10-man cultist squads like i don't have anything that actually wants to deal with that it's just like it's so inefficient uh, to deal with yeah, it um right like the wa is in a bit of a weird spot as well where um as much as they're still a great unit and you're still seeing them competitively used everywhere it feels like everyone's almost distracted by the eradicator train and forgot the plasma inceptors exist um so there was very minimum that I'll be honest, that's that's a unit that you look at that I know is competitive and that I go call a five man unit with blast can just sh- absolutely shred. Yeah. Um, I mean I look at plasma scepters and I'm like, they will kill everything in your army. For, for, but for I'm, obvious I'm, reasons. Um yeah. but it's again in terms of uh reading your local meta uh uh kind of thing, uh there is significantly more eradicators anywhere. Um gotcha. and your army is very right. immune to eradicator. Like you have two riders, yeah, the bikes are a little vulnerable, but that's about it. It just doesn't, and even the bikes are more. Um, the bikes don't care about dying. The bikes are relatively. So talk to me about these bikes. Actually, are they just there because three dudes for eighty-four points that move fast is really useful <laughs> for engaging all fronts, move blocking, objective contesting, just normal utility stuff? It's it's so it's in part that at least at least half of it is that. Um, and as you said, like enga- engaging all fronts was for the most part a bit of a go-to secondary, but. Um, there and and yet move blocking is also really really valuable but just being able to warp time them and having a 28 inch threat range that you can charge something is occasionally really handy to just be able to charge and tie something up just forcing a forcing a vehicle to either shoot specifically a unit of bike so it's not unloading say i don't know like a punisher cannon into a 30-man cultist unit um or, or 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 equivalent um the the other thing and what i was saying before about the world killers thing being a little bit contentious is for the purposes of the, and it, uh, this is actually a little bit of a story. So I've got uh, it. It ends a bit weird, but um, for the purposes of the event, the tournament organizer ruled world killers uh, because the objective is, or the stratagem is incredibly poorly worded and has basically really an is. extra sentence at the end that doesn't need to exist as the equivalent of not just removing obsec. But your units will uh, essentially the Black Legion units had gained gain the equivalent of gaining obsec. Um, now, when I say it's super, I, I then took the bikes for that very reason of being able to essentially, if you could tap an. Did objective. you know it was the the stratagem was ruled that way when you wrote this list? Yeah, yeah, that was um, okay. that was literally like a. I just wanted to get a TO ruling beforehand. There was one other Black Legion player at the event, as far as I'm aware. Um, and that's that's what he decided on. The ironic part that's I was going to clarify for everyone. I'm going to actually. You can go ahead. I'm going to pull up the Black Legion strat right now, and then we'll just read it aloud. 
Yeah. Um, the ironic part about that is that never actually happened at the event with a unit of bikes. Um, like, so I've, I've taken this utility unit for that reason. Um, for because obviously it's that that they go they go from being a, a good utility unit to uh, just insane if you can essentially just happen objective with a, a unit that has a twenty to forty inch threat range with their like turbo boost um, equivalent automatically advanced six inches. Um, uh, and be able to just swing games so hard with just like a single unit of three bikes. Um, and yeah, ironically, that actually never came up at the event with, with the bike specifically. Um, it actually only ever came up once with anything that wasn't obsec anyway. The funny enough, when your army is mostly cultists, turns out most of your army is obsec anyway. Um, but um, that was that was part of the intent behind taking them. Yeah, if it was funny enough, if it was ruled the other way. Um, I still take two units of three bikes, and um, if, if anything, I actually just take uh, I think about fifteen more cultists, um, all up in the list, literally just to double down on more upset bodies. Right. So, just to clarify for everyone at home who doesn't know the obscure Black Legion strats, Nick. Yep. Before you read that, yep. let's take a quick break for a, a note from our sponsors, and then we'll get back to it. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. World Killers is a 3CP strat that's unique to Black Legion. One of the main reasons to play them, at least on paper, uh, it says use this stratagem at the start of any battle round. Until the end of that battle round, enemy units cannot use any ability that allows them to control an objective marker if there are any Black Legion units from your army within three inches of the center of that objective marker, even if there are no or if there are more enemy models within range of it. So what this strat is trying to do is say that enemies can't use abilities that allow them to control the objective marker even if you have more models on it yourself. So like objective secured, for example, basically removes objective secured. But then it has this line at the end that says, even if there are more enemy models within range of it, which has really nothing to do with objective secured or, or anything. So it could be construed as um, basically my unit is functionally obsec and yours are functionally not The, the problem is the stratagem was written in 8th edition when obsec wasn't technically a rule. Obviously, it was just a faction thing. Um, hence why it's also yeah, it was called like Defenders of Humanity or like the Cult Uprising or whatever it yeah. might be for your specific yeah. faction. Now it's all like blanket objective secured, but back then, H- hence, it hence it's also weird with the whole measure three from the center of the objective. Like it's just, it's, I'll be honest, it's, it's very, very poorly written. I can't think of a single stratagem, probably worse written. Um, and it's the only <laughs> stratagem that I can think of in the part of the reason why this came up is. Um, obviously there is there is definite definite intent behind rules as written for like a lot of events, but um it, it only even came up as this. I do recommend if you're ever playing an army or list that is gonna try to make use of a stratagem that has we'll call it ambiguous wording or potentially contentious wording, do everyone a favor, including yourself, and ask the TO beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing the you need is, and I understand, like, it is it happening yeah. halfway through an event, and it turns out that you've cheated in air quotes. 
um, like but, but in prior rounds, are all completely ruined your own da- your own game plan. Like bring some. Yeah, questions. it's like I totally understand. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Like I don't want to ask the question because then I'll get an answer I don't like. You know what's even worse? Hitting round three, having your opponent ask a question, and then getting yeah. an answer you don't like. Just save yourself one hundred percent. Um, hence, hence why going into this week was that it's just so odd because it's, as far as I'm aware, like I'm not going to pretend I know literally every strategy in the game, but I, I regard myself as very well read, uh, for the, for the purposes of the game. And I can't think of another stratagem that has a, or like rule that has just a random sentence tagged on that you could, that, that literally doesn't <laughs> do anything if you don't do something for it, if that makes any sense. Like there's poorly worded ones where you go, oh, they've forgotten, they might've forgotten a comma or they've. They've used uh, um, dad uh, just as a bit of a tangent, but as a good example, Death Guard have that uh, that bonus damage to the damage roll. Contaminated monster, oh, um, yeah, which is a bit of a weird one. Um, and people interpret that they're like, oh, but you could increase damage for for any any individual weapon. Uh, it doesn't have to specifically be a roll, and you're like, no, it, it it does very specifically say roll here. So you can you can argue that as rules is written, but it doesn't have a whole like added part of a sentence tagged on for no apparent reason. Um, as as I was saying, it's kind of um, whilst obviously that counts towards the list's functionality in that format. Um, it was again a little bit weird at the event itself, um, have not really needing to do it. Um, but that's if, if we ever do actually one day get a proper FAQ on that stratagem or, um, any event organizer, like, like rules it in that way in your neck of the woods, I, I think the bikes kind of become uh, a bit evident in terms of why they're on the list. So I want to, uh, the bikes totally make sense to me. I do also want to talk a little about these corn berserkers, um, because they're a unit that was very popular at the beginning of eighth, and they've kind of gotten in and out of popularity here and there for various you players. Heads up every now and, um, and you pretty much never see them in Black Legion. Mm. What's uh? Well, the, what's going the, on? The only reason, um, uh, in part, the one uh, for the most part, like uh, for, for want of a better word, gimmick or bonus that they actually get for being Black Legion is benefiting from Abaddon's Aura of Rerolls to hit. And uh, Abaddon's uh, Warlord trait of Aura of exploding uh, Death of the False Emperor on a five or a six um, against Imperial targets. Um, and again, with a with an environment that is just so, I think at least 50% of our field is Imperial players in some way or another. Um, that wouldn't surprise me if the world was relatively similar in that regard. Um, they make up a huge chunk of the Codexes in various armies, um, not just Space Marines, just Imperium in general. Um, Having things like a uh, uh, the, there's a reason why the, the Berserker champions have lightning claws under the new rules as well. It's just extra like even more attacks with flat rerolls to wound um, means that a Berserker champion with six attacks piling and attacking twice. So if no one interrupts him, um, or if they're fighting say like a vehicle that doesn't even really want to interrupt him, it's essentially twelve attacks with flat uh, reroll all hits. So you can fish for even more exploding attacks if you want. Um, in an army with prescience, where if I have prescience in anything else, or if they really need it, that can make them hit on twos. And because the Chaos Space Marine Codex is essentially ancient at this point and doesn't have many references to unmodified sixes or, or such, it goes to exploding on a on a four, five, or a six because it's a five plus. Um, 
uh, all of a sudden, like a single model, I think I, I need to double check my math on it, but from memory, a with everything going for him, a single Berserker Lightning Corsage compiling and attacking twice, kills like eight intercessors with a, with a six up no pain. Oh, I'd believe it. Those things are monsters. Yeah, and that's just the champion. Um, so obviously there's a, there, there's a little bit of bias swung in the Berserker's favor, assuming that like, assuming he's in the aura range and assuming he gets to pull on the sacrifice and doing a lot of things. Yeah. It's also just a chaos thing right now. Death's the False Emperor is such a tremendously powerful mm-hmm. rule when you're playing Marines and obviously such a useless rule when you're not, that it's like, it's, it's kind of value wins with the meta. And right now we are in such an Imperial heavy meta that like, Taking stuff that, that is, makes uh, awesome debt to the false ember plays is actually just mm. wise. Um, it's why Abaddon just swings from being okay. He pits pretty hard to when he's actually like he will, he will do like forty wounds to a vein blade if you let him. Um, but then all of a sudden he can't actually kill a chaos knight to save himself. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> doesn't hate it enough. Um, the uh, essentially, that's one of the reasons why the Berserkers are in the list. They also end up being 99 points for one of these five-man units, so I feel as though they're a pretty, again, efficient cost to, like, for, for what they do ratio, if that makes sense. Um, they And I've just found they've been really reliable to throw into other enemy combat units that need to rush at me. Or if I get that kind of Horde-esque mirror match, like they can have a bit of a field day just mowing down Gaunts uh, or... Or even um, uh, again at the event, like fighting um, fighting big units of plague bearers, uh, you death hex a unit of plague bearers, and then hit them with even just a five man unit of berserkers piling in and attacking twice, and they they do a lot of work, um, as you can imagine. Um, they've got there's a couple other little weird black legion things you can do with them, where there's um, they they've got the the merciless fighters stratagem where it, again it's another stratagem that's worded relatively poorly based off its intent but actually unlike world killers um is again less contentious it's uh, essentially if you have more models within one of the enemy at the start of the fight phase um in your unit like if you outnumber within one of the enemy at the start of the fight phase all the models in your unit gain plus one attack um the reason it's really weird is obviously the intent behind that is you outnumber the enemy you get bonus attacks but how it actually ends up working out is you could have a five-man unit of berserkers just position themselves so that they're only within one of like two orc boys out of a 30-man unit of orcs or same with gaunts or same with anything really and then be like we outnumber you technically plus one attack across all the models for the entire phase which equates to an additional 10 attacks when they pile in an attack twice or on the very rare occasion where you pile them in for the third time 15 extra attacks so what one cp for 15 extra attacks or one cp for 10 extra attacks usually sounds like relatively value particularly when when they have that job to do um the strength six chain axes is like not that that's new, but that's always been something that's a bit weird in the meta at the moment as well, where there's so many T5 custodes, T5 beasts of Nurgle, T5 Gravis. Um, well, I was going through this this the other day in my head. What am I missing? Do about like T5 uh, units that you really want to crack? There's a lot of T5. Um, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, it's a it's a really interesting meta choice, and I'm, mm. I'm here for it. And I like I really do like that strat. That's a very niche strat. Okay. Um, on the subject of Black Legion strats, oh, I was sorry, just going to ask about uh, secondaries. Like, what secondaries are you playing for? Um, that kind of stuff. But if Nick, you want to continue on list discussion, then we can move into that in a minute. Yeah, let me let me just do another list question, then we can move on to secondaries real quick. That sounds good. Um, one of the things, or one of the main reasons to play Black Legion, at least when you look at Black Legion's rules, is their stratagem that lets you take a unit that has no mark of chaos 
and then give it all four marks of chaos. I think it's called mm-hmm. Chosen of the Pantheon. Um, and then you can do all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So on an extreme case, you could take like a unit of possessed or something like that that has the demon keyword along with now corn zine Schnurgle, and Slanish keywords. And then you can combine it with the loci from the, the demon codex. You can put like feel pain on it, plus one invul, fight twice, minus one to hit, and do all of this stuff, advance and charge, extra damage, nonsense into your opponent with like this Death Star possessed or even obliterators. Shooting twice with exploding fives to wound on corn and you know, minus one to hit and four up and vol. You can do crazy mm-hmm. stuff, Black Legion units with every mark. You're not even attempting that. Um, right. Honestly, CB. Um, because uh, uh, it, uh, to do, you raise a really good point, and it's one of the reasons why I think Chaos uh, is even remotely functional at the moment. Like, like I regard them as a compare, like all of the Chaos Codexes in some way or another as, as relatively competitive or very competitive. But I genuinely believe that if you had to say, uh, like, mono decks them, like if you were only taking Thousand Suns, uh, or only taking Black Legion, or only taking um, uh, Iron Warriors, or whatever it was, that they would struggle a hell of a lot more than they do because of the amount of synergy that like every book has. And obviously, that Black Legion stratagem is the pinnacle of of that because it's Obliterators is a great example. As you said, you can just do a lot with them. But in order to do that, you need the Obliterator unit. You then need the Crimson Crown Relic from the the Corn Herald which is then another detachment and then another CP, uh, potentially another CP. And then you need, um, uh, obviously you want a sorcerer there to potentially give them, say, uh, 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 five up no pain maybe. Uh, and then you want to, mm-hmm. uh, and you need CP to be able to shoot them twice with Sunesh and you might want a Veterans of the Long War them. And then you, it, it's, yeah, it all, it all comes back down to, uh, at no point did I feel as though I didn't have enough command points for the event, but at no point did I feel as though I had an abundance of command points. Because uh, things like World Killers, even when you're getting a one back on the refund from the, because uh, it's at the start of the battle round from the um, the Dark Apostles, uh, um, extra the, the extra Warlord trade that I purchased, uh, even when it goes down to 2 CP, you're spending 2 CP on that. I'm usually either double shooting the Angel's main character or a unit of cultists almost every turn. Um, there's Tide of Traders is 2CP. Um, you, there's a bunch of clutch veterans of the long wars, just flat plus one to wound is so value. Uh, yeah, it's essentially you just don't have the, the CP to properly fuel it. Um, and I, I feel as though that list archetype probably has a place in this Black Legion concept, but I think the list starts to look dramatically different in some way. Yeah, I think certainly it, it, you do have to build around it, like you said. Like to make going all four marks worth it, you have to take a demon attachment. And like you said, if you want thousand suns for psychic support, reliable things like death hex and prescience, which are amazing in your army, um, then demon detachment and black legion detachment. Now you're really that is what your army is doing. It's not trying to do MSU obsec stuff with the world eater stratagem and all that, or the uh, mm-hmm. world eaters. What uh, is it world, called? World eaters have the. World killers, world killers. Yeah, I just couldn't remember the name. I was, I was saying world eaters, and I was like, "That's not the, um, right. <laughs> close." <laughs> um, the uh, it actually raises a good point in terms of uh, again because uh, I've even had a couple of people go, "Oh, surely about and giving you the extra CP, you can take like the extra CP hit for a third detachment, in, or even just swap out the thousand suns." Um, and if I if I wasn't taking thousand suns, I'd be taking probably word bearers in that detachment for again the reliability for casting. Yeah. To make um, sure the powers pass. Because that's another thing. Like a lot of your strategy from what you've said is like 
in certain matchups, Jason Regal, Electro Priest, like you need just, death X. Death X goes off, you kill him. Well, like Death X doesn't yeah. just go off. Like you, you don't even have a third thousand sons caster to give yourself the plus two to cast from Cabalistic Force. You're just. I hope I roll a seven. Well, the one that I've been finding is I literally haven't played a game without swapping. I forgot to add this for Araman, without swapping Araman Smite out for a Gaze of Fate. Um, the uh, a one for so, return. It's so value in the current uh, current ed, like edition, just where you you can't re-roll individual dice like that, and having the option to spend a CP to re-roll both, or use your Gaze of Fate to re-roll one in your turn is just yeah. like you roll a five and a one to cast Death Hex, you need a seven. It's like oh, I'm gonna have to re-roll yeah. the whole thing, or I'm just gonna re-roll yeah. one for a two up. Like that sounds a lot better. The prior version of the list I was playing around with had a noise marine, like the, the classic kind of noise marine unit, um, allied in instead of the Thousand Suns. Uh, but again, the, the CP required to fuel that detachment. And then in addition, just the unreliability of the rest of the army when the, the psychic powers are just, just don't quite actually swing in your favor. Um, obviously, they're less mobile when you don't have Araman on a disc. You... Um, uh, don't have any of the potential bonuses to cast from either a spell familiar or Araman's native plus one to cast, um, or the gaze of fate to to semi reliably cast death X, um, and it, even just that gaze of fate uh, going back into it can just be used for so many things like tide of traitorsing a unit of cultists and then using it to swing their charge in your favor when you roll a six and a one for that nine inch charge. Um, I've done at least twice recently, which is always super entertaining. Again, not super reliable, but it's just doing every those one percenters to swing it a little bit more in your favor. Um, yeah, that's um, it's it's the the reliability on being able to actually like even just warp time, just being able to reliably move again is is so so clutch and so important to the army. Um, yeah, yeah, makes sense. So um, I really actually like your army. I think it's quite unique and. Um, as you said, it's a little matchup slash uh, board dependent. Do you think this is something that you think could be successful in a singles event? Or I know you took it to a team event, obviously, where you got to kind of have a say in what you played and where you played. Do you think this is something that could hold its own on singles? So I I don't think the version, the exact version that I took um, necessarily will. Um, uh, it also depends on what you define as hold, hold its own, uh, because I think it can win games in a singles environment. I don't, I, I don't think I could win an event with it, if that makes any sense. I think yeah, you get yeah. um, the 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 bad matchups for it. Unfortunately, are so bad, and usually are also played by players that know what they're doing. Um, that uh, Harlequins, for one, like is a, is a good example of something that I, I don't feel super confident against. Um, that's that, just gonna be like there's there's it's hard to find a bad Harlequin player. Bad Harlequin players quit playing Harlequins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they they you it, it's it's sink or swim with that with that faction. Um yeah. and there's there's only three of them in WA for the most part, but I know if I play one of them, um it, it, it's what you we're, we're not necessarily small country town scene. At the end of the day, the event was I think 140 players or like just under. Um, which I think might be the biggest event in the world at the moment or something dumb. Um, it's a bit like obviously obviously for the the no COVID in, in WA or almost no COVID in WA uh, reasons. But um, it's still, you have to factor in that whole, I'm going to go to a 50-player GT that we have. I know one of these three players, if not all three of them are going to be there. And if I can't, if I can't at least function against one of their archetypes in any regard, I can't win the event. So... Um, I think I think the archetype in terms of the 
the chaos ord in some way or another, I think has a lot of merit. Um, and that's actually what I want to look at next and what I'm building for an event that we've got coming up in about three weeks. Um, well, that's super interesting. Uh, you got to win that one so we can get you back yeah, on the exactly. podcast to talk about your latest yeah, that's, and greatest. That's my goal. Um, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, uh, ironically, it actually ends up dropping the Black Legion, as weird as that might sound. Um, uh, I can't remember if I said it earlier, but I only actually used World Killers four times across the entire event. So whilst yeah. it uh, helped create a bit of a swing in those, if I removed world killers from the entire matchup it doesn't actually change the win-loss result of any of those games do you think that's because um, people played very differently against you because they knew they had world killers so you didn't actually get to use it but use the threat of it a lot or not even i think there was a little bit of that um but in addition there was also just cases where when the cultists had obsec anyway and were outnumbering um out, yeah, out like that's, that's very extra world killers like when it matters it really matters but a lot of times it's like i'm good enough mm -hmm. as it is but I, I essentially wonder if by adding, for the most part, more reliable hitting power to the army, particularly from ranged, does all of a sudden the army just kind of even out because it can reliably just kill what it needs to on objectives whilst that's, doing both. Like, I don't want to... That's I don't a magic question, isn't it? Like, what is reliable shooting in chaos? Yeah, and that's that's a hard part. So I'm, I'm, leaning towards, I'm leaning towards an Iron Warriors attachment and playing around with... Havocs and Obliterators, because I think it's potentially one of the closest things that you have to that. It's not exactly reliable, but I think it's I think it's about as close as you, as you get. Um, and uh, potentially even doubling down on the amount of cultists that actually go on the board, get matching, getting closer to matching something like some of the Gaunt armies that you actually see. Um, but yeah, I, I remember back like maybe three, four months ago, Mark Perry played something very similar to what you're describing. It was like... Uh... It was it was like an Iron Warriors army. It wasn't a Black Legion mm. mixed with Iron Warriors mm. army, but it was like six or nine obliterators and like ninety-ish cultists and similar concept. And sure, I, I I feel as though it's uh, particularly when they've got that uh, that equivalent to to Grot Shields uh, kind of stratagem of I, I think they can attrition really well because if you're mm. forced to if you're forced to kill a bunch of cultists that are protecting the obliterators, you're then not shooting all the cultists that are actually doing anything. Um, and if you're not shooting those cultists that are protecting the obliterators, the obliterators can just, uh, as long as they're in range, shoot literally all game. Um, yeah. Unless something else is tying them up, engaging them, or, or, or like obviously there's ways around it, but I just I feel as though that has a lot of potential. So we're, we're already seeing decent results from that. Like, like I don't think hordes are dead uh, by any means. Um, I think anyone that thinks that they are completely dead uh like it, it didn't no they, they definitely have legs but um uh it's about i think a lot of it's also changed you're not seeing hordes the way you used to where it's like here's yeah. my 200 bodies in like six units of 30 it's like now it's here's it's like MSU 10, 10 man units yeah 10 10 yeah. man units is way more that's uh, annoying to deal with i genuinely think a guard horde in in a similar I think setting guard horde is amazing the humble I just don't have Move. I have no interest in playing it, but I think it's real. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, and I'm not saying it's necessarily for everyone either. Um, like, there's uh, there there are some people locally that, like, if you saw them playing with more than twenty models, um, you would be uh, be surprised because <laughs> they're just that's how they want to play. Right, um, right. And vice versa. There are there's always that that hidden horde player somewhere in a in an environment where if they're playing with less than a hundred, something's gone wrong. Um, okay, guys. Let's uh, let's talk quickly about secondaries and sort of how yeah. you approach, you know, keeping those at parity with your opponent, and then we need to move into the second episode where we can start talking about matchups and that kind of stuff. Ruining all our fun, John. Okay. 
The, Sorry um, for driving the car. <laughs> but yeah, so what kind of secondaries do you usually take with this type of list? So uh, engaging all fronts and all domination were rel- like quite common. Um, I'm a personally a big fan of taking domination, particularly in the missions that uh, we played battle lines, which for, for those that aren't familiar is the hammer and anvil, like short table edge deployment with four objectives. And when there's two central objectives and one in your, one in your deployment, um, with an army that functions like mine, domination is actually just significantly better than engaging all fronts in that army. Um, like I, in that, in every practice game I've played with that, and then on the day, um, I can reliably max domination for 15 points. Same as, um, same as sweep and clear, which is the one with the central objective, uh, corner deployments and four around it. Anywhere you just need to hold three for domination, I can very comfortably hold three objectives at the end of my turn. So why why wouldn't I take that? And I find it it means I don't have to overextend as much as I would for engaging all fronts. Um, some of the other missions I would consider it for, but usually um, usually when it starts getting into six objectives, you you go uh, maybe I actually just take engage in all fronts instead. Um, and engaging all fronts as the backup is, for the most part, a relatively reliable 10 points at least. Um, the uh, I didn't take Scramble as much at the event, but in terms of taking it for the list, it's not a bad one by any means. Um, and that's one that I've been taking in certain, certain practice games. Again, it's just because the goal for the army is to get that separation on primary. I don't need to beat my opponent on the secondaries. All I need to do is draw parity with them or, or very close to it. They can hap- I'm happy for them to beat me by five to 10 points on the secondaries. If I beat them by 25 on the primary, I know who's won. Um, so it's just about getting those consistent points where they exist instead of doing those high risk secondaries. Um, which kind of brings me to the third one, which is always a bit weird where I would, there are times where I've taken while we stand, we fight and it's there. It, it it's a really tough judgment call before a game starts because it can be such a, again, a consistent 10 to 15 if I'm being quite passive with particularly the, uh, the magic cult of magic, uh, Terminator Sorcerer and Araman. Um, uh, obviously a bad wants to run off and bash things sometimes. So, uh, as tough as he can be a little bit less reliable, but, um, you, usually when I'll take while we stand, it's still a relatively consistent 10. um, but there's obviously that risk where you're like, this needs to, these characters need to survive, or you can actually see that swing happen. Um, and the stand is always like that. It's like it's a great secondary until it's not, and then you lost 15 points. Yeah, and then in hindsight, you're going, why didn't I take this? Um, but it's kind of opposite can... to all the other ones where, like, you know, engaging off fronts, you you incrementally gain more over time. So if you fall a little bit short, you know, you got a decent score out of it anyway. Mm. Whereas, like, while we say we fight, is you start at 15. And every time you something goes yeah, wrong, you lose a chunk. Yeah, you can only lose, not not gain. Um, the um, a bunch of the mission specific secondaries um, were it was really polarizing actually out of the missions at the event specifically. Um, the battle lines one is essentially scoring more when you score on the primary. Um, you you in your command phase when you if you hold these central objectives, you get two points for each objective. And with an army that was already scoring well on the primary, that becomes a bit of a no brainer. And sweep and clear, I think, arguably has one of the dumbest, like easiest secondaries, oh. arguably, which is. Direct I don't understand assault. how some secondaries are so impossible, and some are like sweeping clear. Yeah, it's, I cannot quiet. wait like, for what? about six to eight months to pass for us to get another, like the next chapter approved equivalent, and see what right. they do. Hopefully, updating some of the secondaries because there's um, 
there's something there where you're like, oh, like who who wrote this? Like, what, yeah, right. what even is is this secondary? Cut off um, the head. <laughs> um, the uh, the scorched earth mission specific one just seems like the, a impossible, and then b even if you did do it, you don't really get anything from it. So there, yeah, there's <laughs> a bunch of there's a bunch of weird ones. But um, so I, I I was lucky in that regard in terms of the missions that we were playing, and again, but it's also I guess building the list for the missions, which I think is really important for an event. Um, that uh, at least three out of the out of the um, uh, vital intelligence, sweep and clear, and battle lines um, all have mission specific secondaries. That regardless, it basically meant regardless of what I was playing against, I could take that mission specific secondary. I could take scramblers and domination, or scramblers and engage on fronts, and essentially not risk my characters whatsoever. Um, or I would maybe instead of scramblers uh, take again while we stand, but it's all relatively consistent. It doesn't rely on me killing anything in my opponent's army that uh they either play kg with or they just don't have for the matchup um i you see people building armies every now and then where they've got like two good go-tos and then they just assume that their opponent will have enough characters for assassinate or pour the witch or um or bring it down and then yeah, like they'll figure that, it out is their plan right there's always their really tough marine matchup where they've got like nothing there you go how many characters you got two how many psychers do you have none how many how many vehicles you have? One. Okay. Like there's just nothing good which right. takes them. Um so having having at least three go-tos is obviously really important for an army like this where it really needs to just score a consistent I'm happy I'm happy at the end of the game if I score twenty five to thirty on a secondary. Um on the secondaries over overall. And that makes sense. Like your plan is to win by twenty plus on the primary, so you can lose by fifteen on the secondaries. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly fine. If that, that's like worst case scenario, but yeah. Yeah. yeah ideally more, the more the better. And there were some, there's some missions where you can do that, but it needs to, if it's not doing that, then it's not doing its job. Like that's the minimum, minimum standard. Um, right. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting about any of them every now and then you'll take, you'll take bring it down or assassinate when it's relevant. Assassinate can be pretty good with again, the, the targeted smites from the, um, the mad corner magic sorcerer. He's actually pretty reliable at killing four wound characters that he can see. Um, if not, if any, if not five wound characters, um, the, so that's a, that's definitely one where you've got chaos. No one, everyone kind of forgets about that to a degree. Again, it does feel a little bit, uh, uh, gimmicky and a little bit tricksy, but, um, it's, everyone seems to forget that chaos does have the ability to actually just target some characters. They're like, he's got, no snipers or or weird aura Here's area. Ten mortal wounds. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it and it's, it's it's arguably when it's in range, at least more reliable than some of these some of these other sure. units in, in some ways. Um, the that's basically it. Um, usually, in terms of secondaries that people were taking against me, the list is constructed in a bit of a weird way, where a lot of people were taking thin their ranks against me um, for obvious reasons, but. It's also not quite that obvious either. Not like, like you're maxing thin the ranks against you. It's a decent score, so like, why not? It's going to naturally it's also, just happen. Yeah. It, it may as well be scramblers for the most part. It ends up being right. usually it's, it's basically the most scrambling. anyone scored off me with it was thirteen, um, and the least I think was eight, um, which is like you wouldn't you wouldn't scoff at that secondary, but it's it's not just like no, a I mean, that's that just like I'm going to take engage and get a score. I'm going to take scramblers and get ten. It's very much yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And usually people are taking those killy ones to max them. Um, like not to not to just get some points out of them. Um, okay. Well, let's get on over to episode two, 
where I, I'm actually kind of interested to hear how, because even though we just spent, I don't know, a good hour talking about this list, I'm still not clear how exactly it works. So it's going to be fun talking about the matchups and seeing, seeing like the ins and outs of how you play against certain things. So I guess that leads me into our transition. So those of you that are new to the podcast, we're going to be going over on to Patreon and where we do episode two. And again, we call that episode tactics, where we get into the uh, optimal play of the list in certain matchups and, and how you play it and that kind of stuff. So um, Nick, was there anything else you want to say before we got out of here? No, that's pretty much it. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Mitch really appreciate having you. You're very, uh, you can tell you put your blood, sweat and tears into this army. And I love that. Oh, I, so I, I have. <laughs> um, I'm very excited to see how you play against like the mainstream competitive nonsense with this thing. Awesome. Thanks, okay. Well, we loved it. All right. Patrons. We'll see you over there. Uh, everyone else. We'll see you next week. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. AOW40K. AOW40K.